I was just like, hey man, like, what's it gonna take for me to get drafted next year? This was me as a, a sophomore in, in at Marshall, it was my first year there. And he just looked at me and just goes, hey Dan, I'm gonna tell you a quick little story. He goes, the kid had all the talent in the world, but he couldn't get out of the buffet line. Welcome into another episode of Baseball America's interview series from Phenom to the Farm, where we're talking to former professional baseball players to reminisce about their playing days and what they learned on their journey from amateur ball to the professional ranks. I'm your host, Kyle Bandujo. Today, we're joined by Dan Straley, who joined me live from quarantine in South Korea as he gears up for his second year in the KBO. Talk to Dan about how he went from a high school freshman who was sitting on the bench to a starter to a Division II baseball to Marshall's starting rotation all the way to the big leagues. We touched on his incredible 2012 season that launched him into the A's rotation and his career ups and downs as a journeyman. It was a real treat to have Dan on the pod, very grateful he was able to make the time while waiting out his quarantine. Episodes of From Phenom to the Farm drop every other Tuesday. If you enjoy this one, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and go check out past interviews. And if you haven't yet, leave a five-star rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. Also, make sure you subscribe to BaseballAmerica.com and the BA podcast feed for all amateur baseball and prospect news. We are so so close to college baseball season. Joe Healy and Teddy Cahill providing a lot of good content on that, so go check that out. For future guest info of this podcast, you can follow me on Twitter at Kyle Banduho. But for now, let's talk to Dan Straley. All right, joining in for today's episode from Phenom of the Farm, he's a right-hand pitcher. He was a 24th-round pick of the A's back in 2009. Current member of the Lotte Giants in the KBO, Dan Straley. Dan, thanks so much for joining from Phenom of the Farm. Yeah, thanks for having me. Of course, of course. Uh, before we get into it, Dan, you were, you're also doing a podcast. Tell the folks about it. Plug yourself. Uh, yeah, no, I'm doing a podcast. Uh, it's called The Journeyman Pod. Um, we kind of did two segments to it. One segment was me just telling my story, my journey through baseball. Um, we hit about 30 to 40 minutes of each level, um, all the way up through getting drafted up until the major leagues and through each team I've played on. And then uh, we started having guests and just getting people to tell their stories in baseball, uh, but not just baseball players because this game is so much bigger than just the ball players themselves. We've gotten uh, personalities, we've gotten strength coaches, we've gotten uh, reporters, we've had uh, front office members, we've had a sports agent, we've had just about anything you could think of, broadcasters, uh, writers. We've, we've tried to cover every aspect of the game and just get people's story because not everyone has the talent to play the game. But a lot of people want to be involved in the game and are passionate about the game. So it's like, how how did you find your way into the game kind of thing? And so we've got a lot of different stories um, that all tie back to the one like true passion of baseball. And it's been really fun. Sounds like necessary listening for anyone who enjoys this podcast. So everyone uh, go check that out. Dan, let's get into into your story, into the, the from Phenom to the Farm version. Uh Dan, what did your baseball future look like as you got into high school out growing up in Oregon? When you got into high school, is it realistic for you to think that you'd one day be a big leaguer? Absolutely not. I was a kid that um, was short, overweight, and didn't even make like all-star teams growing up. I made one as a 10-year-old and one, I think, as like a 15-year-old. Um, but I was like, I grew up in a tiny town of 15,000 people too. So it wasn't like it was like this fast area where the competition was so great. Like it was the same, like people making the all-star team every single year. And I just wasn't ever good enough to crack that type of thing. And so getting into high school, my freshman year, I actually was told by the coach, like, Hey, you know, we don't really, we don't really cut people, but you know, you're not going to be playing 
And I just said, like, you know, I, I really want to stay around. I'll catch bullpens. I'll throw batting practice. And I actually played one one half inning of defense, and I had one at bat the whole year. That was it. That was my freshman year of baseball. Uh, my sophomore year, I had actually, like, lost a bunch of weight and I went to a man that changed my life, Travis Zander, told me, like, hey, if he was my football coach and said, if you want to play baseball for me in the spring, you're going to have to come wrestle and lose a bunch of weight and become a better athlete. So I did that, and that really changed my life, changed the trajectory of my life. And that was the year that he was like, "Hey, you know, you're gonna you're gonna do a little pitching for us." I think I threw like 20 innings maybe that year, had a few more at bats, um, but then actually was way better, way better, and way more involved in my summer ball. And then my family moved, and we moved to from from Eastern Oregon to Western Oregon, and now I'm in a much bigger area, much bigger town. And I get to a new high school, and they're just like, hey, what position do you play? And I'm like, oh, uh, that's easy. I play third base, left field, right field, first base. I pitch. Like, I, I can do anything. And, uh, like, I really could. I, I, I wasn't lying. I just wasn't like, you know, hey, I, I wasn't a starter where I came from. But, you know, hey, like, I, I can do these things. Like, I've practiced them all because I've, Lord knows I've taken enough reps at each one. Um, and I just kind of like, but I was a much better athlete at this point. I hit a growth spurt. I lost all that weight from wrestling. And be just was a better athlete, and that was the year that I was basically the my I got to the new high school, and I was basically like the, the our pitching or our coach thought that it was best to put your your best pitcher as the the like your kind of like reliever. So I was pitching like literally every single game. The starter would go like three or four innings, and then I would finish the game. And it was we played Monday, Wednesday, Friday. So I was pitching a lot, um, and that was kind of like my the first time I actually got into pitching. But I still really wasn't thinking that like hey like hey this guy I have a chance to be a big leaguer like I was just a kid trying to have fun I love baseball I was just having fun playing baseball like no aspirations of of even probably college at this point uh just was having a great time playing well so when did playing college ball get on your radar when did it become something you want to do because um you know spoiler alert about your college choice you have to really love baseball to to go play at at a smaller school out of high school yeah I I didn't really understand what I was walking into, but the the idea of me trying to play baseball in college was simply geared around the idea of me finding out how much college could actually cost. And I was like, man, if I could just go get a college scholarship somewhere and knock some of this cost of education down, like I have to get a job anyway. Like I might as well make my job baseball in college and get a, like get paid through a scholarship instead of having to go work, you know, flipping burgers to, to pay for my tuition. And I get to do something I love. So that was really where it came down to. And I was, I had like, you know, a couple of very small offers and um, like junior college stuff. Like it was, it was like, you know, if I could look back and say what I should have done, obviously things worked out for me just fine. But I, I should have probably gone to junior college ball out of high school instead of taking a D2 offer for a very low amount. But at the same time, like I just wanted to play baseball. Like once I, once that became the next dream, like all of a sudden the cost of things was just a, you know, some loan I was getting handed. I didn't really take into account what that meant as a, as a 17 year old, you know, why would I, I just was going to school to play baseball. So it wasn't even then, uh, you know, there's just more like, how can I knock a few bucks off education? It was really how I started off my whole journey into, into baseball at a higher level than high school. So you head to Western Oregon Division Two school. What happened in the year at Western Oregon that you had that had you starting in Conference USA the next year? Um, I I was did not realize that I signed up for twenty five hour bus rides, four guys to hotel rooms, like Motel Six hotel rooms, um, 
terrible food, no laundry. Like it just was not fun. It just wasn't. It it made college baseball just not fun for me. And I went down. I played summer ball down in California, and I was trying to find a new place to go. I was trying to find a new place to go walk on to. Trying to find a junior college. Trying to find something. But like I didn't know what to do. And but I knew that nothing could happen until I got released from Western Oregon. So it was the last year you could get released and one go to a new spot. Um, and that was quite a headache. But I got I got released and I ended up. Uh, like released from my from my my scholarship essentially, and I was like finally got that, and then I went ahead and walked on. I found out like on a Thursday that I was granted my release from from Western Oregon, and I walked on and and left on Sunday and walked on to Marshall. How did you pick Marshall? Because it wasn't Marshall, West Virginia is not exactly close to Oregon. It's not at all. But I played summer ball with a guy that went there, and. He it's it's looking back at it like this was not the most thought out process ever. Like I I played summer ball with this guy Andrew Blaine and Andrew Blaine told me he goes dude he goes I'm telling you right now like if you just walk on my school he was he was going to be a fifth year senior he was the captain of the team he was just like hey if you walk on out there I promise you you will be fine and like to the point of like when I flew to West Virginia a couple weeks later a couple months later Andrew was the one that came and picked me up at the airport like he was like he was. He was dead set on this. Like, dude, I'm telling you, this is going to be life-changing for you. This is, this is going to be what you want. Because he knew – him and I talked all the time. We were driving around California playing summer ball, working kids' camps. Like, we, we spent a lot of time together. But I, I – so I take this opportunity. I take this chance and walk on. And we end up having two guys um, leave our school at the, end of, uh, at the end of the fall semester. And I gave up one hit in the fall. And my head coach gave me, essentially gave me both their scholarships to stay because I had told him at the same time, like, hey, you know, I, I do need a scholarship if I'm going to stick around here. If not, I need to go probably back to Oregon somewhere to a junior college where I can afford to go to school better. Um, and so he, he, he'd actually given me both scholarships. So I was, I was really close to a full, I was at like 95% after one year or after one semester of, of martial education. And so he really put a lot of, of value in me and really put a lot of trust in me to be a good pitcher on that team. And, yeah, it went from a walk-on to a weekend starter to just kind of obviously you know, getting drafted a couple of years later. But it was a stepping stone for me. Um, it was a scary adventure. It was something that just took a big risk on myself. But I've been gambling on myself my whole career, and that was just really the kind of the, the start of it all. I think that's a really fun thing about college baseball and especially the summer ball culture is like I played at a small school and every year, every summer you have new guys show up at school, even like it's semester just because like, Oh, Hey, I met so-and-so at summer ball and they talked me into coming down here and vice versa. It's just this very fun, like inter-transfer portal melting pot kind of thing. But, um, so you go to Marshall, you're, you're in the rotation or you're, you know, you're pitching a lot your junior year at what point did you start to hear from scouts and you know when did you go from a guy who at at one point had to walk on to a d1 school to a guy who is a, a drafted junior yeah so it um i told you about when i had that sophomore year in high school where i had to like lose weight to like play baseball right well it kind of happened again in college where i gained a bunch of weight and i was standing in the outfield with a scout actually talking to him um and I was just like, hey, man, like, what's it going to take for me to get drafted next year? This was me as a, a sophomore in, in, at Marshall. It was my first year there. And he just looked at me and just goes, hey, Dan, I'm going to tell you a quick little story. He goes, the kid had all the talent in the world, 
but he couldn't get out of the buffet line. I was about to say, I, uh, what is it in college that makes you gain weight? I had no idea. And he just like, and he he says that to me, and it's like I was expecting this profound, like you know, hey, you know, make it have a better slider, have this. And he was just like, dude, you have all the talent in the world, but you got to lose weight. Like you're just a big guy. You've always been a big guy, but like it's you're just you're no one's gonna draft you looking like this. Like people aren't gonna think you take yourself seriously. People aren't gonna think you work hard. And like that. I didn't take that personally in the way that like I am like gonna go home and like be upset and be you know just cry myself to sleep type of thing. I took that as like, hey dude, if you really want to chase this dream, if you really want to do this, like you're gonna have to change some aspects of your life. And so I did. Do you think if you wouldn't have been told that and still like still got drafted but went out but hadn't been told that about taking yourself seriously and taking your conditioning seriously that you would have made it to the big leagues? I really don't think so because I don't think I would have been drafted. Like, looking back at it, like, I don't think I would have been drafted. And I would have got, even if I was drafted, I would have probably continued on that same trajectory of, and it wasn't like I was taking myself serious. It's not that I wasn't taking, I just didn't know. I didn't know how to eat correctly. I didn't know how to lift weights correctly. I didn't understand the importance of sleep. I didn't understand the importance of nutrition. I didn't understand that, like, it's, like, you can't just crush pizza and expect to, like, get stronger. Like, I didn't understand these things. Like, I seriously didn't. And it sounds ridiculous to say in today's age because we have all this information shoved in front of us all the time on all these social media platforms and all this kind of stuff. And we have all these big strength coaches we can follow. We have everything out there at our fingertips. But that just didn't exist back in 2008. It just wasn't even a thing. And so um, – and ironically, I, I went to a guy on my team and talked to him about what I needed to do in, this, in the weight room as well. And he is now the major league strength coach for the twins, but that's another story. But uh, I was surrounded by people on my team in college that had unbelievable skill sets, not necessarily just in baseball. Um, we have guys in the front offices. We have guys in in in, in coaching. We have guys. It's kind of just it's this big melting pot of guys that happen to be at Marshall together. But they, uh, yeah, like the 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 aspect of learning how much how important sleep, nutrition, strength conditioning, all that kind of stuff was to me it started there in that outfield i was at Tulane, is where all that that kind of started for me and that has become my favorite aspect of this game yes i love wins i love striking people out i love all these kind of stuff but the strength and conditioning aspect of this game has become my absolute favorite because it is the it is the one place that i can go fail and that's okay it's the one place that if i go give my everything I, I, and then I fail, like, it's okay, because I'm giving everything I got, and at the same token, like, it's, it's the one place that, like, I just get to go be me, and nobody's watching, like, it's one of my favorite things, is to just go in there and just work my butt off in the weight room, work my butt off on whatever I'm, I'm, if I'm running, if I'm cycling, no matter what it is, like, I've grown to such a passion to that side of the game, and I think that's really allowed me to play this game professionally for 13 years now. So you sign as a 24th round pick for a, a $12,500 bonus. Do I have that correctly? Oh, yeah. All so, 12500 8000 after taxes. So you've gone, you went from Western Oregon where you're dealing with the, the small school, long bus ride life where, you know, bad food, living tough. Then you go to Marshall where I'd imagine life was a little better. Uh, Much big, better, yeah. divi- big division one school. Then you're a late round pick with a twelve thousand five hundred dollar bonus before taxes and a minor league baseball paycheck. What was adjusting to that minor league baseball life, that off the field life like? See, that's like the difference is like that was a better 
I actually had money in my pocket. I never had that before. I had money that I earned, not that my parents gave me like like a couple bucks here and there for like, you know, try to get by at college type of thing. But like I was actually I had money in my pocket that I had earned like that, that felt amazing. I was staying at host family's house in Vancouver, Canada, getting like a couple hundred bucks every other week, you know, paying X amount of dollars to Glenn Magic as our clubby there in Vancouver. Like I just couldn't like I, I didn't care. I didn't realize that I was should be like you know, like working towards a different career. Like, no, that was never an option. Like, I, like the money didn't matter because I knew that the goal I was chasing wasn't to be a minor league baseball player. It was like, these guys were paying us just enough money to get by to see if you're worthy to be a major league baseball player. See if you're good enough to be one of the, the under 20,000 men to ever play this game at the highest level. Like that was what I knew I was chasing. And so I was, Maybe I shouldn't have been, but I was okay with with being paid so little because I knew that there was a a, a grander goal in mind, or something bigger, much bigger than that that I was chasing. Was there difficulty in adjusting to minor league baseball competition? Because your first couple seasons, especially in, in 2011 in the Cal League, your numbers are actually a bit better than they were at Marshall. Did you have were there any like real struggles on the field that you had to adjust to? So I essentially had like I had like a fastball when I got drafted like I didn't really have any good off-speed pitches um and on my way out the door at Marshall uh, one of my teammates Shane Farrell had showed me his slider grip and uh his dad John Farrell had has been in the game for a long time as a manager and as a pitcher and as pitching coach and and he she showed me this slider grip and I didn't really try it in college and I got to pro ball and I knew I needed to develop a better breaking ball and so I've it's basically that conversation I had in the outfield with a teammate back in 2009 in college has changed my life because that's still the same slider I throw today, which has gotten me hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of strikeouts over my lifetime. And so I didn't. I I now have a pitch that I did not have before, and so I was never a strikeout pitcher in high school. I was never a strikeout pitcher in college. All of a sudden, I get the Pro Bowl and I'm a strikeout pitcher because I've always had to command my fastball because that was really all I had before was a fastball and then a couple of really bad off-speed offerings. And so now all of a sudden I have a decent slider at this point to go along with fastball command. Two, two good pitches at low levels in minor leagues is going to take you a long way. So I, I was going to ask that about like where do strikeouts come from? Because you've always been, e- even when you got into the big leagues, you've always been a higher strikeout rate guy. Is, is it all about stuff? Is it, is it about command? So w- did it all just come from developing that, that good second pitch? It, it was so much more than that. Like it was Gil Patterson hammering into us the his pitching matrix um, from day one. Him hammering into us this is what it takes to be a major league pitcher, and just like really building the foundations up from the minor, like actually developing pitching along the way. I was such a product of the Oakland A's minor league development system under Gil Patterson and all the pitching coaches I had along the way. I mean Craig Lefferts and Jimmy Escalante and Craig Lefferts again and Don Chulsey. Uh, Scott Emerson, Ricky Rodriguez, like these guys poured so much into me as a pitcher and to the point where like you kind of felt like you were like the only guy that they cared about, right? But each guy would say that. Each guy felt like they were getting all the attention. Each guy felt like they were getting all the attention because these guys were so good at just developing pitchers, developing players one at a time, but also as a group. And so we got we got better. Like my the, the group of pitchers that I got drafted with, like we got better together. And we all moved up together each year, and then we started getting traded, divided, called up, sent down. Like that, that, that was like year three when that kind of stuff started happening. But it was just really just 
overall pitching development, like the Oakland A's really did a great job of that when I was coming up through the system for sure. Well, let's talk about year three. Heading into that the 2012 season, did you did you know what was coming to your like did you did you anticipate having the kind of season that you had? I did not. I was driving and riding in the car with AJ Griffin to Midland, Texas, and we were just like one of the last things Gil Patterson told us, like, "Hey, you really want to stand out? Like, lead the league in something." And like. We were just sitting there thinking, and like AJ and I were like, "Okay, let's try to lead the league in ERA and strikeouts. Like that, what? Why not? Like that's a great pitcher thing to lead. And if I can be the best strikeout pitcher and have the lowest ERA, I'm probably doing pretty good for myself. And like neither one of us made had the chance to. Him and I are roommates because he got called up before the All Star break, and I got called up at the All Star break to AAA. And but we were both doing exactly that. We were leading the league in those things, and. It was like it took like I think it took like I think it took almost a month for anyone to pass me in strikeouts. Like I was gone for a month before somebody caught up to where I was in that in the in the Texas league that year. And it, all I was doing was throwing a ton of strikes. I said this that like that whole year when I, every time I got talked to by anybody like media wise, like I'd be like, I'm not trying to strike anyone out. I'm throwing strikes. They're dismissing it. Like I really was. Like I was. I was I was commanding the ball. I was my slider. But that was the year two I learned the changeup, which was a big development thing for me so now i have a fastball slider and changeup going but there, like that year was unexpected in the sense of like i did not expect to go double a triple a big leagues by august that was never like the expectation uh each year i just showed up with like okay i'm gonna be the best pitcher on my team like that's my goal is how can i be the pitcher of the year at my level i never had any aspirations of trying to move up I just had aspirations of trying to be the best pitcher on my team here and try to win a championship. I never even like really thought about getting called up because I was a 24th rounder. I never expected to get called up. I expected the only time I was ever going to move up was at the end of the season because I dominated that level for an entire year and proved to them that I deserved to go to the next level. That was my approach. And so when I got called at midnight to find out that, hey, you're going to AAA in the morning, like it was an absolute shock. Like I was not prepared for it. But... I couldn't have been happier to do it. I just was not prepared for it. When you got to Sacramento, was there a specific moment or a start or anything where you had finally crossed your mind, like, I might be a big leaguer this year? Yeah, it was that moment for me came when I, like, one hitter up at, like, eight and a third innings of one hit ball. And that, that hit was in the first inning. And we were, we were up one nothing. Like it was like this, like this, this, but I was matched up against like a really good Tacoma Rainiers team that year. And it was just kind of like me and Danny Holtzen were going at it this game. It was a lot of fun. And the game actually ended up going like 18 innings, but it was like that game was like a stretch run for me where I had like, had like a point nine at like 70 innings in AAA. And it was like, there's no way that this team can't call me up now. And it was like, Every single game was quality start. Every single game. I was on a 19-game-in-a-row quality start run. And it was like every single game was quality starts. Every single game was the same. You, you knew what you were going to get. Every game was like six innings plus of three hits or less. Like seven innings, two hits. Eight innings, one hit. Eight innings, two hits. Seven innings, three hits. Like it was just it – was, it was almost like video game stuff it felt like. And all it was was I had Anthony Record catching me. And Anthony Record just said, hey, dude – if you want to go to the big leagues, don't shake me. Like, I know these hitters. I've been here for a couple of years. You don't. 
just don't shake me and you'll be just fine. And then when Anthony wasn't catching me, it was Josh Donaldson. So I had two really good catchers behind the plate that were very capable of, of and knew the hitters, knew what was going on. And so I just was trusting the older guys in front of me to, to lead the way and was just having fun doing it. I was just a little farm kid, essentially, from Eastern Oregon, just throwing baseballs for a living and on the verge of getting called up to the big leagues. And it wasn't even – I was just trying to find a way to get to – I was just trying to find a way to get on the Arizona Fall League team and get on a 40-man roster somewhere. Well, you, you get on the 40-man, but a little bit earlier. Uh, w- walk me through that call-up. The call-up was uh, my fiance at the time. She had actually flown into town the night I got called up, and I hadn't seen her since like I left home, essentially, back in February. And she comes into town, and, and there's some confusion on when I'm pitching. She's only in town for a few days. And uh, I'm like, hey, I walk out. I, I find out, and I walk out to the parking lot and tell her, and I'm like, hey, uh, I was supposed to pitch on, this was like a Wednesday night. And I was like, hey, I'm supposed to pitch tomorrow, Thursday. But they just moved it to Friday. And she was supposed to leave Saturday. And she's like, are you kidding me? I was like, yeah. but And also, too, I was like, I'm not going to be pitching here. We're going to be pitching in, in Oakland against the Blue Jays. And she was just like, what? Like, are you kidding me? What? Like, because back to real life stuff for a second, like her and I were getting married that that next off season, And we didn't know how we were going to pay for housing we didn't know we, between the two of us. It was 2012, and both of our cars were like 1997 old cars that weren't running very well. We didn't know where we were gonna live. We didn't know how we were gonna do a lot of things. But we were just like we were like we were engaged for almost two years, like just trying to to wait it out, waiting for her to finish up her education, waiting for me to hopefully get to the big leagues, and just try to find it. We did not know how we were gonna do this, and so that moment for us was so much bigger than like a baseball game. It was like. We're going to have an opportunity to just be able to focus on like baseball this next offseason instead of trying to pay the bills and train for baseball. Like Such a dilemma that most ballplayers have is how do I train for my sport, but also how do, I keep, how do I feed myself? Or when you start getting married and having kids, how do I take care of my family? And so you have to I – I was never forced to like worry about those types of things. And so that moment for us was amazing, but it was just um, – yeah, it was – finding out I was going to the big leagues was something special. Uh, and it happened so fast, I had no time to get nervous about it. I found out on Wednesday, and I started Friday night. Like it was incredible. Um, the Oakland A's, they it was an it was an amazing thing they did. They they had me start Friday night, firework night in Oakland, in front of thirty five thousand people. It was my first big league game, and so you can't get much better than that to just go onto the grand stage in a packed house. Like that doesn't get much better. I want to get into what you were just talking about though, about how your off season was before you before you got into the big leagues when. Once you, especially like once you get a year in after, after your, your rookie season, what does a year of big league money and resources allow as far as your training, your body maintenance, like what changes did you make once you became a big leaguer and how you spent your off season? Uh, Up until I was in the big leagues, my off seasons were spent at Gold's gym. I was a student at the university of Oregon. Like, so I transferred over there for my education and so I'd get up at like four, four or five in the morning, go work out, and then from there I would go to Dick's Sporting Goods, and I would work usually from like eight until like noon or two, and then I'd go to class, and then I'd go to my at the time my fiance's house, her parents' house, and they would usually eat dinner over there and do homework, and then I'd go home, get a few hours of sleep, and repeat the cycle, and it was just that cycle over and over and over and over again. And then all of a sudden, I'm in the big leagues. I have some 
some some money where I don't have to worry about the dick sporting as part of my life. I can't go to school because um, school starts in September, but we're always in, in playing then. Um, instead of having to worry about going to work at Dick Sporting Goods and having to go to school because I couldn't go to school anymore because baseball is being played through September when school starts in September. So that was no longer – I'm not even going to say a distraction. That was no longer a part of life at that point. I uh, would come home and take a couple weeks off, and I found a gym in town where I lived that was uh, – I found a personal trainer where he was – uh, he was a retired NFL player that was actually doing training of other sorts. And um, I gave him like a six month heads up and he like, you know, did as much learning as he could about training throwers and baseball players and um, ended up expanding his business off of it, which was great too, because he was able to then incorporate baseball into his training. But he, uh, so I, instead of just, you know, doing, going to, to Gold's gym, I now had a trainer. I had um, a place that I was buying meals from. So I wasn't just getting, you know, I wasn't cooking on my own so much. I was getting, uh, prepared meals knowing like okay here's my intake here's my recovery after I work out like I'm eating this like it was so instead of just like having to do everything um, around someone else's schedule it was like baseball was the center of the off season I had a very you know I get up here's what I eat for breakfast I go train I come home and then I have half a day to whatever I want instead of you know it's just like uh it, it was kind of like okay this is this is what I was working for this is what the goal was the goal wasn't like let me play baseball and then come home and work at Dick Sporting Goods forty hours a week to to pay the bills like that was never that was never the dream but I was very grateful for that because if it wasn't for the income I generated from working at Dick Sporting Goods I wouldn't have been able to keep playing baseball but it wasn't until I got to the big leagues that that finally like turned itself over and I was able to to cut that part out and just really focus on baseball only. So the next year after after that initial call up year, you, you make the opening day roster. You go back down after Bartolo gets back. You dominate in AAA, and then you're back in the big leagues for the whole year. What is the toughest part about adjusting to the big leagues besides just the hitters are better? Is there anything that surprised you? Is it you know to, as far as enduring a full year in the show? I I honestly don't remember like the adjustment part. The like. Yeah, that that would have been a lot better. Probably answered about six or seven years ago. But I think the <laughs> I, I think the biggest thing that, if I remember correctly, this everything else going on, not baseball related, like there's media requests and there's this outing or that outing or can you go do this? Can you go do that? Like there's a lot more time demands. Whereas like when you're in the minor leagues, it's just kind of like show up and play baseball. But up here, it's like you show up and play baseball. But even you go out and play catch, there's cameras on you. You always have to be on. You always have to be aware of what you're doing, like making sure, you know, there's it's just, it's just, it's, it's, someone's always watching you. So you're just like always, it's just kind of different in that regard. Um, you know, and then just the process of travel. Like, yeah, big league travel is great. It's, it's chartered flights. It's nice hotels. It's this, it's that. But um, I played in, in some cities where it was, brutal travel like the the marlins flew the second most air miles in baseball to the mariners the a's weren't that far behind so we're talking like you know just hours upon hours on on airplanes um you replace airplanes with buses it's like you know all the same like you're just it's 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 hard travel it's time zone changes it's all this kind of stuff um but i wouldn't trade it for the world like i'm not complaining about these things i'm just talking about the adjustments that it took to get up there um and so they, those were some of the bigger ones, just adjusting to changing time zones so much, adjusting to 
um, you know, just like the the un, the the not normal sleep schedules of you know finishing a game and then flying across the country. Uh, some of these other things, you know, the time constraints of um, a lot more people wanting to say hi or meet up for meals or you know your different bigger cities in the country where you tend to know a lot more people. So it's just like kind of a lot of the little things like that started popping up everywhere. Is there any completely getting used to the travel and the sleep aspect of baseball? I mean, you've got, you know, years and years of service time now. Is there any, does it just get easier or can you, is it, are you fully acclimated to that lifestyle at this point? Oh, a hundred percent fully acclimated. That was like a, like, you know, I was trying to, I was digging deep, trying to think of an adjustment. Um, it was, <laughs> you get, you get used to it pretty quick. Like there is, I learned how to sleep on airplanes. Uh, I learned how to change time zones, like, it doesn't even bother me changing time zones now. I figured out my my adjustment for that. I figured out how to beat that for myself. Like all these little things, like it just kind of you just get used to it. Um, the the job is so amazing that there's like it's really hard to find anything to complain about, right? Um, and so like really trying to like think of like just even the adjustment was kind of difficult, but like it's all an adaption. And so once you get used to that, like it's it's just business as usual. Well, in that in that rookie year, you get a playoff start. What are the twenty four hours before a playoff start like? Is there is there a difference in a routine? What are the nerves like? Honestly, there wasn't. Like, I I had explained to this to people before. I was like, I have a feeling it's going to be like minor league playoff starts because when when you're in the minor leagues and you're in the playoffs, like that's the level you're supposed to be at. Like that's a stressful situation. That's that's your playoffs. And so when you're in the big leagues, like that's your playoffs. Like you're supposed to be there. Like you're ready for it. Like they want to put you there if you weren't ready for it. And so I, I was probably more nervous for my very first playoff start at Kane County Cougars than I was for my first playoff start and for the Oakland A's against the Tigers in the ALDS. That's a and nice place to mentally be. That is because that was how the A's, that was how I was prepared as a pitcher was like, this is every level you're at. That's your big leagues. When you're in low A, that's your big leagues. When you're in high A, that's your big leagues. When you're in triple A, and then when you're in the big leagues, that's your big leagues. And so everywhere I was at, I, it was taken the same level of seriousness. It was all had the same level of importance. And so it didn't matter what level you were at. You like that was where you were supposed to be. Like you were at your, you were at the peak of where you were ready to be at. And so when they give me the ball for for that game, I knew I was ready for it and went out there and, and gave it my everything. Something a bit different than nerves is adrenaline. And like I, I've heard, you know, stories of golfers will, will club down, you know, if it's a big shot or like a, you know, a shot to win a major, it's you're usually your seven iron, you know, your seven iron distance you might hit an eight iron because you've got a little extra juice. Is there any adjustment when you pitch in a, in a big game, like a playoff game or just, you know, a big game in September? Is there any conscious awareness of I need to tone things down at some point or I need to lock in? Um, it's, like so, I remember. I remember this like vividly. I was warming up for the game, and like I was so amped up. Um, and I was like coming in for the first pitch, and I was just like, I'm, I'm probably gonna be like 94. Like I just, I feel so strong. I feel so good. First pitch, 89. And I was like, uh, oh, <laughs> gonna be a long day. <laughs> like it just like uh, it, I. But honestly, I don't remember much of the game. Like I, don't, I don't remember really pitching in the playoffs. Like I don't really remember that day. Like, does that make sense? Like, I don't really remember that. I remember other games more vividly than I remember that game. But I don't. there's a lot of moments and a lot of games I don't remember that much because 
I remember at bats, I remember pitches, I remember certain things, but like that one is kind of a blur. I think I was so focused on being in the moment that I kind of like just was, yeah, like I don't remember much about it. I don't remember like, I can't like relate to that experience. That was a really unique time and place to have that many people like, you know, know you're there's millions watching on TV. Um, but I, I wouldn't say I had to like, you know, club down or revert else. Like I was just trying to bring it and I was just like, if I have to throw 98 sliders today, then I'm going to throw 98 sliders today because it does not matter. Nothing else matters more than today. So your next year in in 2014, what what is the process of finding out you've been dealt in a in a in a big trade? Probably the I think the biggest trade of that year, if I or that trade deadline season, if I remember correctly, the Smarsh deal. Uh, both the actual stuff you have to get, you know, from one place to another, you have to move. And then the mental side of adjusting and you had, you know, you've kind of gone on as we've been talking about how much you respect how the Oakland A's brought you up as a pitcher and, and all the work they put in. How do you, you know, mentally grasp with, Hey, I have a new employer now. I'm not in Oakland A anymore. Yeah. I felt like, uh, I feel like I got dumped by my high school girlfriend for the very first time. It was like the actual feeling. You're just like just a tough feeling. That's a, it's a it's good just, way of, of, of equating like, that. Like this, there's just like that knot in your stomach, and it's just like, what? We're we're done. Like I thought you, I thought we were happy together. Um, no, I was I was going through some 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 in, some shoulder weakness. I guess you could say like I was pitching, um, but it just wasn't the same. And I I was coming off the year where I'd thrown more innings than I'd ever thrown. Um, I, I think I had some sort of like small tweak in the off season that I just was never addressed properly at the spring training. I remember going to my trainers and trying to talk to them about it. And there was, all of us were banged up at some level and they just kind of pushed me to the side and were like, you're, you're fine. Like you. They kind of triaged us and were like, you're fine. And so I just kept pitching and it just, nothing was the same. And so when I got traded, it was kind of, it was kind of a shock. I did not expect it by any means. Um, cause I'd been told for so many years that I was untradeable. I'd heard from the A's from so many years that I was untradeable. Um, but you always are until you're not type of thing. And so uh, when I got traded, I was in Reno. And I just woke up the next morning and drove back to Sacramento, rented a car, drove back to Sacramento, packed up my stuff, and flew across the country. And, um, yeah, it was a, kind of a weird a weird ordeal. I get to the Cubs, and they're just kind of like, oh, this isn't the guy that we thought we were trading for. And I'm like, well, this is weak. Like it, this needs, my arm needs to get, it needs some work. Like there's something going on. And they're like, there's nothing in your charts to say that. Like what, like everyone was just kind of confused and I was confused and everyone is confused what's happening here. And, uh, so yeah, it was uh, like all that going on, all the emotion of packing and moving and changing places and the stress of like, why am I not throwing over 90 right now? Why is my best bullet being like 87, like type of thing? Like, why is, like, am I 85 at times? Like, what's going on with my arm was, like, such a, such a concern. And it was just, like, I didn't understand it. It was the first time I'd ever had any sort of weakness or any sort of, like, struggle. It was really the first time I'd ever failed as a pitcher. And then to get traded in the middle of it was just, like, what is going on? Well, and from the beginning of 2014 to the end of 2015, you have six different home cities because you're traded again in the, the 2014 yeah. offseason. What do you how do you stay focused on your future in baseball when you keep getting shuffled around? Like how many different apartments did you live in? I don't even want to know how many different apartments I lived in. I lived in hotels a lot. Um, like when I was in like this last year, for example, when I got sent down from Baltimore or two years ago, I got sent down by Baltimore. I just lived in a hotel the rest of the season. Even when I got traded, I just lived in a hotel. Uh, when I was in Iowa Cubs, I was only there for like 
a month and a half or no six yeah a month and a half six weeks and so i just lived in a hotel there like when i got called up to the cubs i lived in a hotel there um you know it's just kind of like the the next apartment i even got was i had one in fresno and then i had one in cincinnati and it was just kind of like i didn't even bother with like when i called up to houston i didn't even have time to get an apartment there like i just stayed at hotels like i just it was and it wasn't until after the houston year where i was still dealing with the same kind of weakness the same kind of like why is the ball not coming out the way i know it's capable of and that was when i found driveline and that was like a a big game changer for me this was back before driveline was driveline that we know of now this was back when Driveline was still just kind of like a small operation that opened up at noon and closed at 6 p.m. at night, like type of thing. Like this was like uh, a Driveline that no one ever even heard of really at this point. And so I go up there and I find these guys and and we start developing a program. Uh, I'm working with Kyle Bodie directly and Matt Daniels and, and we're really just getting a, a remote training program for me and going through that stuff and the first thing that we did was just get my shoulder strength back which seemed like along the way that was something that maybe a trainer could have helped me with along the way but no one ever did no one ever took the time to like hey let's find out what's actually going on in here instead of just keep putting band-aids on this problem keep just like treating the symptom let's 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 actually find out what the issue is and and, and fix that and so they we, we got that stuff fixed and it really kind of altered the re, redefined or altered the course my career was headed on at that point well, you get that figured out, and then you go into to spring training 2016, and then you're put on waivers claimed by the Reds, like right at the beginning of the season. What made was it all a health thing that that enabled you to find success in Cincinnati in 2016? Because that's not an easy place to pitch. It was health, health and confidence. I had nothing to lose. I go into that spring training, and Brent Strom really wanted me to make the Astros. He really wanted me to be a part of that team. He goes, "I really think you can spin the ball. I really think you can pitch." And he goes, that's what we need is pitchers. We don't just need throwers. We need pitchers. And he goes, but you're going to have to do a lot of work this spring and you're going to have to prove yourself. And so one of the first things he had me do was just, he's like, I need you to put up some special numbers velocity-wise. He goes, I don't even care if it's a strike. He goes, I just need you to put up some numbers every now and then so we can just point at this and be like, look, he can throw this, he can throw that. And so like that spring I got up to 95 and I was just like, I, obviously that's not sustainable. Like I was like, there's no way I can do this like like to every pitch. Like like that was what I was thinking. And like, so I'm like 93, 94, 95 out of the bullpen at spring training. And while that didn't get me a job with the Astros, I got traded to the Padres. But I, having those velo flashes probably helped that. And so I get over to the Padres, DFA'd and claimed by the Reds. And I get to the Reds and maybe it's because they saw me at spring training. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know where they saw me along the line. And I make that team. I show up, I fly across the country again, show up to... Indianapolis where they're doing a scrimmage like an exhibition game against the Pirates and throw a bullpen I haven't slept I got up at 6 a.m. for a physical rode a bus a few hours from Cincinnati over to Indy get off the bus don't really stretch that much because they need me to throw a bullpen now it's terrible afterwards I got the GM the assistant GM manager pitching coach bench coach behind me watching and they're just like yep congrats you made the team and I'm like oh great like this is my worst bullpen I've ever thrown and you guys are just like well you're all we got. So, and did anyone tell you anything past you made the team? Like, hey, we're expecting this out of you this year. We'd like you to be a rotation stalwart this year. Or was it just like, hey, you made the team? Hope you're no, still I around was, next week. I was the long guy. Yeah, I was right-handed and I was healthy. So, like, I was the long guy in the bullpen. And I remember 
like in hindsight of it's kind of funny. I remember going in after I didn't pitch for the first week of the season, and I went into the weight room every single day after the game, and I lifted and I ran. And my manager, Brian Price, would come in the weight room after the games after he was done with his media stuff, and he would he would ride the bike and decompress and that kind of stuff, or go for a jog or work out or. And so finally one day he was like, you know, what are you doing? Like, you're, are you wearing yourself out? And I was like, oh, I'm not wearing myself out on the field, so I'm just trying to make sure I stay ready back here. And he was like, you know, okay. And I said something like, you know, along the lines of like, I'm just making sure that I'm staying ready to be a starting pitcher whenever you need me. And he was like, Dan, I, I need you to be the best long guy possible. I don't need you to worry about being a star. I need you to be a long guy for me. And I said, I understand. But I was like, I know I'm a starting pitcher. Like that's 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 my pedigree. That's what I'm good at. That's why I'm here. And it took a couple weeks, like two weeks into the season, he came up to me and said, "Hey, I need you to make three starts for me." We had a guy coming back from injury that got delayed. I need you to make three starts for me. And those three turned into thirty, and I got a nice little trophy for being the Cincinnati Reds pitcher of the year. Like won fifteen ball games, one hundred ninety innings from a guy that was supposed to be the long guy in the bullpen, and. I just never gave up. I never quit. I had a teammate, Caleb Cotham, that was guiding me through how to use driveline even better in season for my very first season of ever using it. And he's now the pitching coach for the for the Phillies. Like I have, I had a lot of people around me that knew what they were doing, and a lot of just I was very open. I had nothing to lose. I was supposed to be the long guy, and end up leading that staff. And so it was just kind of like. Here we go. I'm just trusting myself. Barnhart was amazing and teaching me how to be a better pitcher. He taught me how to pitch in the small ballpark with my stuff. He taught me how it just like kept going, kept going. And I was just so open to everything. I was trying to be the most coachable ball player possible. And it really led to me having a lot of success there. You have this great year. And when I was doing some, some prep for this interview, I was looking through your Instagram. And I saw on January 18th, 2017, you posted on Instagram, excited about getting the season going, saying Lexigo Reds. On January 19th, 2017, you're traded to the Marlins. And this time yep. you are, you're the, you're not the prospect package. You're the person who's being traded for. Is there an, is there an ego boost when that, when that happens? There wasn't an ego boost. There was just so much going on. My wife was pregnant. My, uh, we just got housing secured in Cincinnati. Uh, she just got her nursing license transferred over to Ohio. Like there was so much other stuff going on. It was just kind of like, I don't even know where like the Marlins, I don't even know who's on the Marlins. So like a like, heads up would have been nice. <laughs> yeah. There's yeah, that those don't happen. Um, but I, it was the, the irony was, was like not even irony. The funny thing was, is that I got traded on January 19th twice. I got traded to the Astros on January 19th and I got traded to the Marlins on January 19th. Um, I actually found out the night before um, that I got traded, that I was traded. I found out, (laughs) thanks to just the way the world works, um, I found out the night before, before my team even had a chance to call me, before anything was even announced, I knew that I was traded. And so um, there was that, but the, yeah, there's still, that's not really a heads up, like that's just a phone call out of the blue from my agent. But the, yeah, it it was a shock. I really didn't think, I thought I'd be at Cincinnati for a while. Um, but no, went to Miami and, uh, you know, just started the next journey. And that was really where I started to, to just really accept the fact that like, I'm never going to be in the same place a long time. And that's okay. Like, I don't have the same kind of career as, as some of these people that you like, you know, we idolize growing up in, in baseball that play in the same place forever. The, the Jeters and the Kershaw's and, and, and Chipper Jones and I, I just some of the guys that play in the same place forever, 
you know, Yachty and, and, and Wayno and some of these guys. And I'm like, you know what, I'm going to be like the 99% of other ballplayers that just fight and scratch and claw for this job here, that job here. I might play 13 years for 13 different teams, and that's okay. Like, that's this is my journey. It's my So that was where I really started to understand that, like, it's okay for me. It's okay. This is just my path. This is my career. This is the way it's going for me. Is there any upside or any, like, a silver lining you can point to of being a, a journeyman, of being a guy who's been around a lot of different places? I've seen so much of this world, and it's obviously it's taken me to Asia now. Um, you know, it took an injury for me to come overseas, but I was just hoping for a job, and these guys gave it to me. But baseball has given me the opportunity to see so many cultures, so many different groups of people, be as part of so many different communities. Um, I've lived in apartments in Fresno. I've lived in apartments in Miami, Florida, Kentucky. Uh, I've spent time in Chicago. I've spent many, many weeks in all the major cities in America, like Baseball has given me so much um, in terms of just like life and, and life experiences and, and just people experiences that, that I, I can't even ever pay this game back for that. But there's that, that's been one of the cool things that I have seen so many different things and seen met so many different awesome people along the way that, um, you know, I can't relate to my buddy I work out in the offseason is the longest tenured Yankee. He's been with the organization for 14 years and he's their backup catcher now. And it's like I've... I can't relate to that. I've never been the guy that's been at one place for 14 years, so I have no clue what that's like. But at the same time, he has no clue what it's like to see all the different organizations I've been a part of and meet all the different people I've met. July of that first year with the Marlins, you also you become a father. How does fatherhood change how you go about your day-to-day and your career? Oh, that's a whole other podcast. We need a whole other hour for that. <laughs> but um, no, it's it's just all part of the, the way life is, is gone. Um you know, luckily for us, like as much as you try to plan having a kid, we were able to do that. So we were, um, it was not like a surprise thing. Like my wife and I were trying to have a kid. Um, and now he's three and a half and he's out here in South Korea with us. And it's, it's amazing, man. Like other than being cooped up for two weeks in quarantine with him right now, uh, it's been amazing watching, having your son, like just be so excited to come play catch with you and cheer daddy on and know that I, that I play baseball and just, he, he wants to copy that and wants to be a part of it. Um, it's really been such a blessing to have to have my son around and um, you know having my wife and my son with me now for this season has just been even better. Well, let's talk Korea because you you pitched two years at the Marlins and then you you come off kind of a rough 2019 between the Orioles, between the the Phillies organization. Off season 2019, season ends, you're a free agent. What did you think your options were going to be? What were you hoping to get out of free agency? Um, well, one thing you missed in there is that I pitched the whole 2019 season with a torn meniscus in my left knee. I did uh, miss that. <laughs> yeah, because that was never a publicized thing because that was um, me going to a team and saying like, hey, my knees, there's something wrong. It hurts. And them just being like, I even had one point I had a trainer tell me like, you think your knee hurts because you're not pitching well. And I was like, are you kidding me? Like what, what kind of, what kind of comment is that from a medical professional? But like... I, I was, okay, being told, like, you're fine, you're fine, you're fine. And at the very end of the season, I was like, the day after they told me I wasn't going back up to the big leagues in Philadelphia, I was just like, okay, like, what, I, I need an MRI. And they were like, you've, you've cleared your physicals. And I was like, no, like, I, okay, I slipped and fell in the shower. Like, I, I need an MRI. And they were like, okay, well, so they got me the MRI, and they were expecting to just be like, hey, man, like, you're fine, like, stop. And they were like, hey, uh, you have a completely torn meniscus and there's actually part of it is a chunk hanging out your outside of your knee, 
which is probably what's causing you all the pain. And I was like, okay. So we go get that cleaned up, and all of a sudden, my velo jumped back up. My command was back. I was able to lift. I was able to run. I was able to do everything. So it was like, no wonder I wasn't able to pitch like I was capable of in 2019. I was doing it with a, with a messed up left knee. And even something as small as that, like torn meniscus, like, like, yeah, it was like I was recovered and back to work in like three and a half weeks. Well, had I, had we taken care of this problem when it first happened, maybe I wouldn't ever have even been in that situation. But again, it's just part of my journey. It's part of my career. So I get through to free agency. I, I'm coming off a terrible, terrible year, but I salvaged it when I got sent down. I had a really good second half in AAA, and I'm just hoping for an opportunity somewhere. Um, I'm getting job offers in America for guaranteed $150,000 deals in the minor leagues. And then I get a job offer from Korea that says, hey, we'll guarantee you $800,000 with another $200,000 in incentives. And it's like, well, do I want to take a million dollars or do I want to take $150,000? Okay, that's an easy one. So I packed up and I came over here. And this was before we even knew what COVID was going to mean to baseball in America. And so, uh, you know, obviously we made a really good decision as a family to come over here and just have it be a part of, of our, our us being here. And so... It was, uh, yeah, I didn't know what to expect. I didn't know what was going to happen. I did not expect myself to be here, um, but that's okay because I've just learned to just kind of go with things and just go be, I can go be the best version of myself no matter where that is. Like, obviously I've proven that. I'm willing to go overseas to go play this game that I love. And so if it brings me over here, great. If it brings me back home, great. Like, I just want to play this game as long as I can. And uh, I've said it since the day one that I got over here that I just want to be able to pitch in the big leagues when my son can remember it. So um, just going to keep working for that goal and just keep playing this game and, and loving every part of my journey. Yeah. I mean, and, and you've, you've re-signed with, uh, with Korea. Is there anything about Korean baseball culture that surprised you? Is there anything we need to bring back home to the States as far as, um, something they do over there that we should probably incorporate to our game? Oh, this is going to catch you off guard, but they really need to get these, like the mounds they have over here instead of having like rubber and then dirt or clay, it's like rubber and then like another layer of rubber. So, like, all, like, the amateur fields would be so much better off to have this double rubber setup, essentially, instead of, like, rubber and then just, like, a giant hole of dirt. Like, it would change the game so much for for coaches all over. Like, if I'm ever a high school baseball coach. So, like, the push-off area is rubber? Is that what yeah. you're saying? Yeah. I, I, I wish you could Google this or something and see what it has to show you. But, yeah, it's, like, literally, like, it's uh, it's two different – It's it, the push-off area is rubber. So the actual rubber that we're used to in America and then where your foot actually sits, instead of sitting on dirt, you stand on another step-down, tiered-down layer of, of, of just another rubber. And so there's never a hole. It's amazing. That is – that is ideal. I'm I'm actually looking on Google right now. I can't find a good picture of it. But yeah, we need to we need to incorporate this in uh in in game major league baseball. Yeah. Absolute game that, changer. Wow, how how about that? Well, that that you're you're right. That completely caught me off guard. That's not what I was expecting. Um so wrapping everything up, you're you're obviously not done. You said yeah, I, I, I think it's fair to say you you'd like to get back to the big leagues, but yes. if we if you could take it back to the day you signed, what would what do you wish you would have known in retrospect before before signing if you could have a conversation with twenty year old Dan Straley? Oh man. Uh yeah, I if I could go back and just like there's really nothing I would tell myself differently. Like I feel like I learned the lessons along the way in exactly the order I needed to learn them. I learned how to be a pitcher at the right times. I learned, you know, I got drafted as just a thrower, learned how to be a pitcher, just kept developing, kept working hard. Um, and that's kind of been my goal the whole time is I never wanted to look back and like regret something. And I, I, I don't have that. 
And typically that's what we would look back and tell our younger selves is like something. So I would just look back at my younger self and just be like, hey, just keep working. No matter what, give it your everything every single day and just keep working hard. I got a quick rapid fire for you and then we're getting out of here, okay? All right, go ahead. Favorite minor league ballpark? Uh, Sacramento River Cats, Rayleigh Field. Favorite big league ballpark? San Diego. Best hitter you've ever faced? Mike Trout. That's fair. Uh, Worst minor league bus trip? Midland, Texas to Arkansas, 15 hours. I can relate to that. Uh, South Korean food that Americans are missing out on? Um, Their version of fried chicken. Okay. Uh, Last thing, uh, something else in that, that, you know, something I'll never never need to know, but uh, when does one know that they're a beard guy? When people start making t-shirts for you. And it becomes my brand that I didn't even mean to create. I was just shaving. I was just not shaving, like almost because my wife always makes me shave when I'm around her. So I was just not shaving. And then when all of a sudden there's Fear the Beard shirts of Australia and Korea, I was like, okay, now I can't shave because this is what the fans expect. And so just to mess with them, I shaved at the end of the season and walked around and no one had any idea who I was. And it was amazing. Yeah, you're tied to it. Dan Straley, thanks so much for joining from Phenom of the Far. Tell the folks again where they can find your podcast. Uh, they can find us anywhere you can find any podcast, Spotify, Apple, uh, just really anywhere podcast. And it's the Journeyman Pod. Uh, check it out. We're just telling stories kind of like here. And, uh, you know, we're just trying to keep like everybody else with these pods, just really trying to tell more and more stories of different ballplayers. Thanks, Dan. Appreciate your time. Appreciate it, Kyle. Take care. And that's it for our episode with Dan Straley. Big thanks to Dan for taking time out of his uh, out of his quarantine to, to talk with us about his career. If you enjoyed this one, uh, please remember to subscribe wherever you get your podcast. If you're on Apple Podcasts, rate and leave a review. Also, make sure you subscribe to BaseballAmerica.com for all amateur and prospect news. Episodes of From Phenom to the Farm drop every other Tuesday, so we'll see you in two weeks. Thanks for listening. If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com.